So a few, a few months ago, or maybe a couple months ago, I, I, I mentioned in staff devos that, that the book of Jude had really taken an interest. I've been studying it in my personal devotionals, and uh, I was pretty fired up about it. And so a couple weeks ago, Pastor Steve reached out, and he's like, you know, book of Jude that you're really fired up on? Like, I want you to teach it. Um, so I'm excited to do that. Um, I asked him if I could have two weeks, and he said yes. And now I'm regretting that decision because I think we could go a lot longer. Um, really fascinating, fascinating book. I'm, I'm excited to jump in. I'm probably just going to whet your appetite, and I'm going to look forward to hearing how you go home and study the book of Jude and all the different resources uh, and, and, and begin to pull out the riches that's there. But um, I titled this message this morning, Heed the Warnings. Heed the warnings, because that is really what Jude, is, his focus is on. He's, he's, he's focusing on lots of warnings within the church. And I don't, that, that doesn't always sit with us. We want to we know about the good things. But Jude, instead, is he's bringing us the warnings from Scripture, from God's Word. Not too unlike the traffic signs that you, uh, you encountered this morning as you were driving to church. Um, for, for those of who maybe need a little refresher in driver's ed, traffic signs are actually color-coded, uh, and, and they're on purpose. Uh, just to, f- to name a few of those color codes that you use, the green traffic signs typically tell you where you're headed uh, and movements that are permitted. Uh, getting on the freeway at the end of traffic lane, that is a good movement. You are headed onto the freeway. So the big green sign that says this is a freeway entrance, you know, and this is the direction that you're heading. Um, then you have the yellow signs, which are like generally uh, general warnings about things ahead. And Jude's going to have the green. He's going to be like, this is what you should be doing. This is where you're going. But Jude is also going to have some warning signs. Hey, if, if you don't heed to this now, there's going to be danger later. Uh, and so those are the, the yellow cautionary signs, the warnings about things ahead. And then there's the red and the red are there because those are those things that are, that are called for um, prohibited things. Do not enter a, a one-way street. That's, that's a good idea. And those warnings are there to be heeded, right? Uh, there's the, the do not enter signs that are on, you have the, the green traffic, you have the green signs that say get on this way on the freeway, and then you have the do not enter wrong way on both sides at the end of traffic way as well, letting you know that if you don't listen to these warnings, and you get on the freeway going the wrong direction, there's going to be catastrophic failure, catastrophic actions. There's damage waiting, not only for your own destruction, but for possibly for others. And Judah's going to do that. Judah's speaking in his letter, this really short 25 verses, one chapter. Uh, he's going to be giving us some strong warnings for the church and how we ought to live our lives and how we are to be cautious about uh, these, these people that he's going to mention. And it's a, it's, it's a strange book, and it, and, it, and it comes at a point in our time in our culture where these things are being more and more taken out. As we get away from a, a Judeo-Christian um, foundation in our country, the more and more these signs are being pulled out, and there's more and more hurt and chaos in the world around us. As people remove these things, there's destruction that's coming. And there's the hurt and pain that's caused now, but there's further destruction to come. Um, we were expecting our, some more neighbors outside of our street this morning. Um, 
We are called to love them. They're lost people. I was lost before I knew Jesus. You were lost before we knew Jesus. No one is born a Christian. They're born a sinner. And by God's grace, we're called into the faith of Jesus. But there's more and more destruction in our culture. And you know, Bud Light has been um, having advertisements for a long, long time. So what has changed in the recent years that has made us as a church say, you know what, we can no longer continue down this trail. For me, and the reason why I wrote my letter, I don't know if you read it or not, it's very public. Uh, They even have an Instagram post with it. For me, it was the kids. It was the kids. Because more and more... uh, as the signs are being removed, the danger, the caution, the wrong way, as those things are being removed, they're starting to target the kids. And that's where the danger comes. And Jesus has strong warnings about messing with kids. Um, and so that's, my letter was, man, we don't need to have this representing our community and, and, the, and the confusion that that brings kids and the damage that if they choose to go down that path of hormone treatments or surgeries, the chaos and the damage and destruction that's going to bring into their lives. So my letter, my personal letter that I wrote was in response to the kids. And we're going to see that more and more in our culture. It's only going to go, continue going that way. So uh, pray about your voice, that we live in this American experiment where we have a voice to use in our culture. Be careful with that. The tongue, the tongue is a dangerous thing. Approach it in a way that we we all have different backgrounds. These are individuals. Our neighbors are individuals. They have different struggles, different temptations. So we approach that with love, with humility, but, but Jesus does. He calls the world, a hurting, lost world, out of that. Same thing he's going to be doing to the church in Jude, the book of Jude. Heed the warnings. This is a strange book. It's maybe the, one of the reasons why I was drawn to it. Uh, strange things like uh, he's going to mention wandering stars, uh, uh, Balaam. Uh, he's going to talk about Michael versus the devil contending over the body of Moses. Uh, he's talking about, he uses things like hidden reefs. It, it's just like these lot of strange things. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna just to just scratch the surface of these things. So uh, hopefully you'll go and, and begin to like really dig in after this. But um, this is one of, it's called the Jewish Epistles. Uh, it was written during a time of, of, of where, where the readers would have a very comprehensive knowledge of the Old Testament and other Jewish writings, uh, especially the writings from the Second Temple period. Uh, books like The Assumption of Moses, uh, books like the Book of Enoch, uh, the Book of Wisdom, those are all referenced in this, this short little tiny book of Jude. Um, and so we have a disadvantage approaching this book, and so we're going we're gonna to be pulling out some of those things, but though once again, there'll be a plenty of under the table to go after. Um, there are 13 quotations, whether Jude is quoting Peter or Peter is quoting, or Second Peter is quoting Jude, we're not quite sure about the timeline of when those books are written, but there's 13 quotations that are almost parallel uh, as, as in the accounts from Second Peter to Jude. Um, a lot of Second Peter is in the future tense, and, and Jude writes, in a sense, in a past tense. So it, whether uh, Peter was warning the church about these things, and then Jude is like, hey, they're already here, seems to be the way that I, 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 I take it. But before we jump into Jude, as I'm already like, a big bundle of energy, let's pray and let's dive in, all right? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It's your word given to us, Lord, once and for all. Divinely inspired word of God, Lord. You used humans to write this down, and we, have a, we know a very accurate account of what you spoke to them, Lord. Lord, take this, this small 25 verses, Lord, these next two weeks and teach us, Lord. Encourage us, build us up, Lord. Show us how to love and to live in, a culture that, in the culture that we're in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Jude, let's read the first few verses and then we'll jump in. Jude chapter, well, chapter one, Jude one, right? Jude one, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called beloved or sanctified by God the Father and, and preserved in Christ Jesus. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord and our, our Lord Jesus Christ. It is Jude uh, who identifies himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ who's writing this letter. And for all his prestige in the early church, he could have taken a very high place because we see that Jude is the brother of James, but he's, what he's not doing is he's not identifying himself as the half-brother of Jesus. He's saying, I'm simply a bondservant of Jesus. He is my master. He's my Lord. I am his servant. And that's the place that he takes. And he says, I'm the brother of James. Now, most scholars will say that this book was written about 67 to 68 AD, right before the, the temple fell, right before the destruction of Jerusalem. And if that was so, then he's identified himself that he's the brother of James who, who was killed in 62 AD, and he was the, really the, um, the pillar of the church at Jerusalem. But instead of using his, his half-brother, you know, my brother Jesus, instead of doing that, he's just simply saying, I'm the brother of James. Uh, James, Jude, and their two other brothers and sisters all denied that Jesus was Lord before the resurrection. It was post-resurrection that they came to be into a saving knowledge of who Jesus was. Their half-brother was actually God-man in flesh. And then he's going to give us the two, the, the who and why of his writing. And he says, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. And what Jude's going to begin to do is he's going to bring, to, he's going to bring in these little triads. There's 14 triads through the book of Jude. I'm, I'm not going to point them all out. Uh, those, that's for your homework to look up those different triads. But this is the first of 14. And he, he lumps called, sanctified, and preserved. And so he is writing not to the church leaders, not to the leadership, not to the bishops. No, he's, leading, he's writing a letter that was to be passed out to the churches and to be read almost as a sermon to the churches that were there. He was writing to the people, to you, to I. And so he says, hey, you are the called. I remember being a kid and we had, you know, before, before even um, cordless phones, right? A little... 
phone would ring, you'd have to go over there to the wall and you pick up and it's your friend Mikey and he wants to go for a bike ride. You pick up the phone and, and, and he'd say, hey man, I want to go bike ride. I'm like, all right, let's go. And so you put down the phone, you have to go outside. You know, you don't carry your phone in your pocket back, back then. Well, that's what Jesus, he's, he's called us. He's called us into something great. We picked up the phone. He's called us and then he's sanctified us and he's preserved us. That word sanctified is also translated beloved. It's that, that, that intimacy of being set apart, being made holy. You know, when, you're, when you're, uh, your grandma gave you those special dishes for your wedding anniversary or for your wedding, and you take those nice uh, china and you put it up in that clear glass you know, um, cabinet at your home, that's your, those are your special set-apart dishes. My wife and I today celebrate 12 years of marriage, heading out. Um, we didn't keep the dishes. We actually let them go. It's just, it's just too much stuff, you know? But God has not done that. God has kept us. He's preserved us, right? So those dishes that are sanctified, set apart, they're, they're, they're in the process of being made holy. Salvation is a one-time thing. We accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We accept his, his, his goodness for our guilt, we're upon, upon that, we're saved. When we believe and confess Jesus, we are saved. But then the process over time is this process of sanctification, being made holy. The things that I struggled with 20 years ago when I fully gave my life to the Lord are not the things that I struggle with anymore. There's things from the, my past, my history that want to drag me back in. But by the grace of God, you, you have that strength to say no. And so it's this process of being made holy. And that's what Jude is saying. Hey, you have been called you're being set apart, made holy, and you're also preserved. And this is gonna be a theme through the book of Jude, preserved. Because as times get crazy outside of the church and times get crazy inside the church, know that God has the ability to keep you. Jesus is able to keep you. And Jude is once again written to the church. These are things that were happening within the church. 1 Corinthians 5 tells us how uh, Paul gives us how to wrestle with those things inside and outside the church. So 1 Corinthians 5, verse 19 through 13. Paul says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with the sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or the covetous or the extortioners or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written that you not keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous, or idolater, reviler, or drunkard, or extortioner. Not even, with such, don't, not even eat with such a person. For what do I have to do with those judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person." You know, before we take a look outside, Jesus gave us the warning that, hey, you need to take that beam that's in your own eye before you can take some, the speck out of somebody else's. We have to look inward, and that's what Jude's doing. The warnings in his book are for those in the church. And once again, we're reminded of what the church is. You guys get a few little extra nuggets that the first, servant, first service didn't get. But 1 Corinthians 6, continuing on his thought, he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is verse nine. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. 
And such were some of you, but you were washed, were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. When Paul was writing to the Corinthians, he realized that that was what they were before they knew Jesus. The process of following Jesus, becoming a disciple of Jesus, means we need to deny our fleshly desires, deny those things, and follow Jesus, to daily set apart And Paul's writing to that church, he knew what they were composed of. He knew their weaknesses. He knew their proclivities. He knew their temptations. And he says, those things you did before you know Christ, now I'm calling you to walk differently. So this message, it's not just Jude who's who's focusing on the church versus the culture. It's it's, it's throughout scriptures. And then verse two, he's going to give, and back in the book of Jude, he's going to give his second triad, and that's mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Mercy, peace, and love. Not just added to your life because of what Jesus has done, but multiplied in your life. Mercy is the, what we receive from God. Peace is what we feel, and then love is how we live out that walk. Then he gives his reason for writing, and he says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and all for all delivered to saints. The ESV uses the word eager. I was very eager to write to you concerning our common salvation, this salvation we all share. What Jesus did on the, Christ, on the cross once and for all and, and, the, and being, being a part of the body of Christ in this salvation. This is, what, this is what Jude, the half-brother Jesus, wanted to write, but that was the letter he wanted to write, but instead he found himself writing a letter differently. He said, I found it necessary to write to you, uh, exhorting you to come alongside you to contend earnestly for the faith. Church, as our world changes and our world evolves and has different thoughts and changes our minds on different things, we have to know what we believe and why we believe it. We have to. Paul, in the, sorry, Jude in his letter, he's not writing and saying, hey, church leaders, you have to really know your theology. No, he's writing to you, to us, to the whole church and saying, man, you need to know what you believe and why you believe. You need to contend for the faith. And it's not content for a faith, it's content for the faith that is shared by all. He says, and this was once and for all delivered to the saints. The same gospel throughout the whole Bible. Abraham was not saved by his good works. He was saved through faith. Just as Paul later says, it was by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not by works, not by works that no one can boast. This, this has been the whole thing all along that, hey man, we cannot reach God. We cannot do enough. We are not good enough in ourselves. We need to reach to something that's greater than us. We need to look. We need to have faith in the one that came to save us. And so he's eager to write this letter. And so my encouragement to you is be like the Bereans, as, as, as the Bereans were those who would hear Paul speak in Acts chapter 17, and then they would say, wow, Paul's, he's really out there. What do we think about this? Let's take it back to the scriptures, right? And there is a movement within the church even now to unhitch the New Testament from the Old Testament. I want you to know that. Um, 
I, I, I heard a pastor say recently that um, uh, we need to get, as a church, we need to get away from a text-based faith. We need to get away from a text-based faith. Romans says faith is, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'm going to stick with how Jude chose to characterize these people. He called them these people. And so if you want to look up that quote, you can find out who, who wrote that quote. It's a very popular pastor these days. You have to be aware. You have to contend for the faith. Know what you believe and why. Know what you believe and why because verse four says, for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. They're ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that these certain men, he's gonna go unnamed. In John, the, the third John, he, he chooses to name uh, uh, Diotrephes. He chooses to put that name in, but Jude now is making this book almost universal because he will not name these false teachers, but just, he's just like, just know that these people have come in. Much like Jesus warned us with the parable of the wheat and tares in Matthew 13. Much like Jesus warned us in, verse, in, in Luke chapter six when he says, hey, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? And he was talking to the church. He's talking to people who, who were believers, who, who claimed the name of God, but they weren't living out the name of God. The parable of the wheat and tares is where uh, wheat seeds have been sown, and then at night, Satan goes and sows out the tare seeds. And these things grow up alongside but if you were to pull out the tares, you would unroot all, all of the wheat and then they, those, would fat, those would pass away or those would die. And so leave them until harvest until they can be separated was his warnings. There's, there's false doctrines. These, these certain men have crept into our church. And so these are, once again, these are warnings for local congregations and the dangers of men who had come in with their dangerous teachings. Some of those dangerous teachings had a broader reach it was the reason for um, one of the early church fathers, Arrhenius, writing his letters uh, against, all her against heresies. He realized that some teachers had a broader scope, and that's why, man, in today's day and age, we have to be so careful what, what we listen to, who we listen to, and why. I mean, the YouTube is full of different teachers. Some of them great, and I've been blessed by that, but some of them we have to be really, really careful with. Because Jude says these men were marked out for this condemnation. Now he's going to get into this condemnation as he gets into the judgments that he, he's going to pull from these examples in, in the later. But they were marked out. Because biblical grace has always meant the same thing. Biblical grace means forgiveness and the power to overcome sin, not the permission to act immorally. When we were saved by grace, we're called out of the lives that we were living before. And he says these men turn this grace, the grace of God, into lewdness. Lewdness, not a word we use very often, but it means cruel, or sorry, crude or offensive in a sexual way. I mean, can we see that rising up in our culture around us? Can we sometimes see that in the church? I recently watched a, 
Easter video from a church this year, and I was abhorred that this, this was appalled by this church demonstration for their Easter where they chose to act out think, certain things on stage. It was like, this, this, this is the church? So we have to be careful this lewdness that be, can come in in a sexual way in, into our churches. It can creep in through certain teachers, through certain men. If we're all we're preaching is the grace of God and not God's judgments, well, there's, there's danger in that. David Guzik said, these words of Jude show us that there's a danger in preaching grace. There are some who may take the truth of God's grace and turn it into lewdness. But this doesn't mean there's anything wrong or dangerous about the message of God's grace. It simply shows how corrupt the human heart is. And, and, and during the time of Jude and John, Gnostics were, were, were coming into the church and they were preaching their kind of hidden message. They were, they were sneaking into the church during that time saying that, oh man, whatever you do with your body is okay because if you have that hidden knowledge, then you become enlightened. You become above all this. You can walk away from your faith or this, this text-based faith. You can walk away from the scriptures. No, no, you've become enlightened in that. And what do they do? Their, their effect is to deny that Jesus is Lord. We, we say that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Jesus, Lord and Savior. Why do we separate those two things out? Why do we say Lord and Savior? One, because he has saved us from our sins and he has given us salvation, his salvation. But then we also need to take that place of calling him Lord in our lives. We call him Master. We deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and fall after him, Lord and Savior. And then Jude's gonna begin to bring in lessons from history you know, that once again, there's nothing new under the sun. So he's going to remind us from some lessons of history from the Old Testament and from other Jewish books. And one of them starts in verse 5. He says, But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. The nation of Egypt was saved out of bondage. The nation of Israel was saved out of Egypt out of bondage and delivered it, and, and brought to the Mount Sinai in a, a pretty short trip, and, the, and God was supposed to speak to them at Mount Sinai, and, and then they were going to have a little a few months journey, and then go into the promised land. Instead, they wandered in the wilderness because of their disobedience, because of the rebellion. And God saved his people with his mighty hand, fighting against the gods of Egypt, and all those people saw these wonderful, wondrous signs. The darkness, the death of the firstborn, the parting of the Red Sea, the provision of manna, the provision of, of water through in, the, in the wilderness. And yet, they still did not believe and thereby they were destroyed. ESV is interesting, especially when you note who the author of Jude is. The ESV version it says now this, he says, now I want to remind you, although you, were f- you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Some early manuscripts put Jesus in there. And it's amazing to think that Jude is speaking about his half-brother, Jesus. My half-brother, Jesus, saved the nation of Israel out of the land of Egypt. My brother Jesus fought against the gods of Egypt. And what that does is it 
shows us that from the very early church, from early 60s, the theology that Jesus was God was there. Some people in later, even to now, want to say that, oh, that Jesus was God, that was added in later. No, no, this was that Jesus, that Jesus and Lord were the same person in the 60 AD held that this was a belief that was not adopted later. This was early on. And Jude is referencing and reminding us that he saved the nation of Israel from bondage, but those unbelievers he destroyed. 1 Corinthians 10 gives us its own scripture verses and scripture interprets scripture. It says this, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware of all that our fathers were under the cloud. They all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with, but was, with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the extent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. And do not become idolaters, as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as an examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. Therefore, to him who thinks he can stand, th- thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. For no temptation has overtaken you except that is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with that temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Man, God was with them in that journey, and they, some chose to believe, not believe. Some chose to fall away and do other things, and those perished in the wilderness. And there are examples there for us, and Jude's bringing that up. And then it's going to link to one of the stranger verses in verse 6. It says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Strange passage. What and where and when did this take place? Where angels did not keep their proper abode? That word for uh, domain is the word arche in Greek, and it's, it means the first place, principality, rule, majesty. So when did angels step away from their first original place? And where did they leave their own abode, as it were, Abode being the Greek word oketeron, a Greek, sorry, a dwelling place or habitation of the body as a dwelling place for the spirit. The word, that same Greek word is only used one other place and that's in 2 Corinthians 5, verse two. It says, for in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. So what is Jude trying to get at? These angels left their proper place. They didn't stay in their own abode, their own dwelling place. We find that in Genesis chapter six, the the place where the angels left their own abode 
Genesis 6 says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet the days shall be 120 years. Verse 4 says, Now the giants were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Why is Jude referencing this early Genesis account where the angels did not stay in their own position but left their, left their domain, their habitation. He's referencing it because these teachers, these men who have come in, have rejected the authority of God. They've rejected the authority of God given through the word of God, and so they've said, well, we, we, we're, we're better than this. We have better thoughts. Verse 7 continues on because he's going to continue the thought of what was happening pre-flood with these sons of God and the daughters of women. And he's going to link that into what was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, as Sodom and Gomorrah, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar matter to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh and are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal flame. Two, two, two places in scripture where people did not leave, they did not live within the bounds that God had, had given them. And they left that place and they, there was a vengeance, there was a judgment that was awaiting them. He linking what happened in Genesis chapter six to also what was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you know what was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah during the time of Lot, God says, I'm going I'm to destroy Lot because of their wickedness. The, the cry is call, coming up to me. So he sends out his two angels to go, go into Lot and to check it out. And these two angels go down in there and Lot, who's waiting at the, at the gates, he's a member of the community. He's even in the city council, you might say. And he says, oh, you know, you, you need to come into my house. I need to protect you. I need to show you hospitality because I don't want you out in the open square at night. And that night, the men of that city came because they, 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 wanted to ha- they wanted to know these two angelic men. They wanted to know them. They've given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. Sexual immorality is any time, anything outside of one man and one woman in a marriage covenant. That is what marriage is. That's what this church will always stand for. That is what marriage is. Anything else, marriage is one man, one woman in a covenant, holy covenant before God. So this sexual immorality that was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, he's a warning for those in the side of the church. Hey man, these things do not belong in the church. In the church, pornography should not be allowed. In the church, adultery should not be allowed. In the church, homosexuality, in the practice of it, should not be allowed. We know there's temptations, we know there's struggles, we know there's past histories, but there is a vengeance for those who continue to practice these things. And then he says, and they've gone after strange flesh. They're going after angels. 
wanted to know them somehow. They're strange, strange things. And then verse 8 in Jude, he says, likewise, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, just like Genesis 6, where the angels left their boat, likewise, these dreamers, he's connecting those things to these dreamers. They defile the flesh, reject authority, speak evil of dignitaries. And what he's saying is these dreamers, they claim to have authority above what they've been given. They say the word of God is, you know, it's good, but I've been, I have a special revelation. I have a special knowledge. I, I understand this better now. And often it's with the culture of the, the context of the culture that we say, ooh, well, you know, we don't really believe that anymore. No, no, no. These false teachers, he's calling out as these are those who are waiting a judgment. These false teachers claim divine judgment, special revelation in their promotion of immorality. When anyone comes and says, I have a new revelation that's outside of the word of God. It was dangerous when Joseph Smith did it and what he brought to the church saying, you know, I, I don't really like what this is. I'm, I'm going to begin to cross things out. I'm going to begin to add things into the word of God because he didn't believe the word was true. And I have a copy in my office of, of, of the writings of Joseph Smith, how he took the New Testament and he crossed things out. He added things in. He changed things. It's, it's just wild to see that he had the galls to say, you know, I don't like this. But it's happening in our churches even now. It's happening in our churches. Likewise, these dreamers who, who, who say they have a, a new revelation... These dreamers defile the flesh, they reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. Defile the flesh like what was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah, like what was happening in Genesis chapter six. And then they begin to reject authority. And that was the same thing that, that Pastor Steve talked about last week, Diotrephes in, in, in 3 John. He rejected the authority of the apostles. The apostles were put over the church and these, these teachers were saying, nah, I don't, we don't, I don't want the apostles. I'm gonna reject. And so they were rejecting authority. And then it says something strange, and this is homework for you because already I'm going over time, but he says he, he's, they speak evil of dignitaries, or ESV says they blaspheme the glorious ones. So if you have a notes out, first, or 2 Peter 2.10, 2 Peter 2.10, or you can come up and ask me after, 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 after service, 2 Peter 2.10, Acts 7, verse 53, Galatians 3.19, Hebrews 2.2, and Exodus 22.28. And like I said, those are scraps under the table. Uh, go research. I'll, you can ask me for those later if you're interested. It was just another strange example that Jude is pulling from one that, that we haven't heard about, and that is this in verse 9. We get to this strange verse where Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring, an, an, uh, uh, bring against him a reviling accusation, but said this, the Lord rebuke you. Is that strange? That's strange, right? What in the world is going on between Michael the archangel and the devil and then the body of Moses? Uh, well, from history, thankfully we have uh, Origen, one of the uh, early church fathers. He, at, at his time, this is where we're at a disadvantage, he at his time had a, a, a Jewish document that we no longer have. It's called the Ascension of Moses. And in, the, in Origen, he writes that this verse was Jude quoting from the Ascension of Moses, a document we no longer have in our history. 
But what is going on there? So Deuteronomy 34 says that uh, Moses, because of his sin, because he struck the rock twice, he was not, God would not allow him to enter into the promised land. Although God took him up on the Mount Nebo, let him see the promised land, and then he's, God says that God buried him. So God buried Moses. So there's already a little bit of like, what is, where, where is Moses buried? Where's his body, you know? Well, it's interesting to know that later in the transfiguration of Jesus, Moses and Elijah show up with Jesus on that mount. So there seems to be a struggle over this body, and it happens to be between Michael the archangel and the devil. So how, how and when did they contend? We don't know. Jude is saying this, this actually happened, this, this, and he's using this as an example to point that of the authority. So in heaven, there was a disagreement over Moses' body. Michael, the lead angels, or one of the lead angels, one of the archangels, uh, didn't have the authority high enough, so he calls upon the higher authority, and that is Yahweh. You see, the devil is a, what was, I believe from Ezekiel 28, he was a cherubim. And in God's order of rankings among the angels, the cherubim outweighed and, or, or were in higher authority than the archangels. And so devil, being a cherubim, a fallen cherubim, still had that place of authority somehow. And so when, when Michael and him began to contend over this body of faith, because remember, what, what, is, what is the devil? What is, what is he? He's the accuser of the brethren from Romans 12. He sits at the throne of God and says, hey, Jeremy, he sinned. He belongs to me. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I have paid for him in full to tell us die. He belongs to me. And Satan is at the throne room of God accusing us of all that we've done wrong saying that, telling God that we belong to him. He has that place and he won't be kicked out of that place till Revelation chapter 12. And yet here, it, here he is having a, a fight with uh, this archangel. So because Michael's not ranked high enough, he calls upon the, the, the higher authority. So he, what does he say? He doesn't say, I rebuke you. He says, Yahweh rebuke you. Yahweh. Go to, you can also turn later in your study to Zechariah 3. Once again, that same language is used. There's a, a heavenly courtroom kind of scene going on, and, and Yahweh rebuke you as well is, is, is invoked. And I think that reminds us that the, the power that we have in the name of God. We call upon the name of Jesus because he has been, he has humbled himself and yet he's been exalted because of that. Once again, verse 10, back in Jude, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know, whatever they n know naturally like brute beast in, this, in these things they corrupt themselves. I mean, Jude's straight up calling these guys animals. And what does an animal do? An animal does not pray. An animal does not search after God. An animal follows its natural instincts and desires. Whatever they know naturally, they think they're high-minded, but they are without the spirit of the living God living inside them. These people who have crept into churches. They're brute beasts. They're animalistic. They feed their fleshly desires and encourage others to do so as well. And this is within the church. This is within the church. Then the last, three, last verse that I'll get to today, 
he throws in another, one, another triad, another three, three strange correlations. And I'm just going to whet your appetite with these. But he says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and have perished in the rebellion of Korah. Cain, we find in Genesis chapter 4, he hated his brother so much and the offering that his brother gave that he ended up killing him and then not only killed him, but uh, uh, then later took two wives. He went out. He was the first to leave the boundary, the sexual boundaries that God had given man. Cain took two wives for himself. God had said in the garden, one man, one woman, one flesh. He took two wives. Balaam in Numbers chapter 22 through 24, he went after money to go, to go curse the, the nation of Israel. Instead, what came out of his mouth were blessings. And in fact, if you really want to get into it, uh, he was the one who prophesied the star prophecy. If you like to binge watch YouTube videos every once in a while, I got a good channel for you. It's called um, Expedition Bible. And it's this guy, it's Christian, Joel Kramer, and he takes you to all these archaeological sites in the, in, the, in, the, in the New and Old Testament. He takes you there. Watch his Balaam star prophecy. It's amazing. And then lastly is Korah, number 16. Korah was the one who led rebellion against Moses that the Lord had, uh, had, had him and his leaders swallowed up by the earth. Korah says, you know, Moses, I, I, I don't want to be under you anymore. I don't want to be under your authority. I reject your authority. God, has, I think, has chosen me, and so I'm going to show you what's up. And we know what happened. The Lord opened up the earth under Korah in his rebellion and swallowed him and the men that were with him. God has put certain authority with bounds within the church. And with a, when a pastor or preacher steps out from under the bounds of the word of God is a dangerous thing. And that's where we have trouble. To summarize, and to use Jude's language, beloved, you need to defend the doctrines of the faith. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it. You need to be reminded that we are in a spiritual battle for the hearts and the souls of men and women. And in the practical sense, we need to be cautious with who and what we listen to, what we're allowing in our heads and our minds. And like the Bereans in Acts 17, always take it back to the scriptures. This morning's communion. So there should be a communion cup. If you don't have a communion cup, then you can raise your hand. We'll have some uh, people help bring those out, distribute those. Communion is the time that we remember what Jesus did for us. Before we take of these cups... I actually want to read the warning that comes after communion. Once again, there's warnings that if we don't heed, there's disaster. So it says this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. That's heavy. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastised by the Lord that we may not be condemned with, them, with the world. If we look inward, before we look out, we, we look inward. So as the worship band comes up, as they actually, before they begin to play the, the, the song we just sung before service, um, the blessing was take of communion. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, take this, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I took my, my communion first service, sorry. This is the covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Church, the Lord is for you. He's for you. I was reminded of that in this song, the priestly blessing. It's found in Numbers 6. As the, as the people gathered before the priests, the priests were to remind the people that God is for you. And they would, they, he said, speak this blessing over the people. He says, Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face to, sh to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Lord, church, the Lord is for you. He is for you. Thank you, Jesus, for this morning. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your blood and body that was shed and broken for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.